Deuteronomy chapter 8. And once you find it, if you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We like to stand to remind ourselves that the Bible's different, that this is God's book. It's different than any other book on the planet. You don't have to stand when you read the Bible, but in church, a lot of times we do just as as a good reminder. I don't, when I'm reading my Bible at home, I don't stand up as I'm doing my daily devotions. And uh, even sometimes in a message, we, uh, I don't have you stand up just so it doesn't get too ritualistic, but it's certainly a, a good practice to stand up in honor of God's Word. We're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read the odd-numbered verses together. I'll read the even-numbered verses alone. I want you to follow along and... Picture in your mind what's happening here in this tremendous portion of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, the Word of God says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know the man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, and vines, and fig trees, and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth that we've read the wonderful words of the Bible, and we ask that you would work among us, work in our hearts in a mighty and unique way. Help us to leave different than we came so that we can serve you better this week. Save those that need saving. Encourage those that need encouraged. Strengthen the weak. Help us all to be more like thee. 
We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage of Scripture, we see that God commands us to remember. He also commands us not to forget. It's one thing if I tell my son to take out the trash, but isn't it more powerful if I say, son, take out the trash, and son, don't forget to take out the trash. It's kind of a double commandment from both sides. This must be an important concept if God is giving us the positive command and the negative command, remember and don't forget. And this Memorial Day, we're going to take a little bit of time to remember those who've given their lives for American freedom and also to remember that Christ gave his life for us and some important spiritual lessons that God told us not to forget. Tomorrow, of course, is Memorial Day. This is a day that is laid aside to remember those who have given their lives in the U.S. Armed Forces. It's a special day to many. I believe America is a special place. It saddens my heart that a lot of people today are being taught that America is an evil place founded on evil. It's always been evil. Uh, what, what a terrible perspective to have about your nation. Uh, I'm thankful that I grew up in a place where America was still revered, where America, people were grateful for it, where even my family, who were not even saved growing up, at 4th of July's and Memorial Day's and Veterans Day's, we took time to remember. I'm thankful for parents that instilled that in me. I remember playing Little League Baseball, and before the games, we would line up on the first base and third base lines, and they would play the, the national anthem over the loudspeaker, and we'd put our hands over our hearts. I remember playing varsity basketball, and before the games, we would line up on the, the sidelines, and I'd put a hand over my heart and often tears would fill my eyes as I was just thankful to be in America. And by the way, that was before I was a Christian. Just a, a place to do that. We grew up in the country, of course, but I remember all the way through elementary school and junior high, we started each day with the Pledge of Allegiance. And that some people would find that today like, oh, that's so terrible. No, it actually wasn't. It was actually a good thing. I had a fifth grade teacher who got me interested in geography and politics, and he had been stationed in Germany in the army, in the army and was in, interested in what was going on around the world. And as a fifth grade boy, I got my own subscription to Newsweek magazine, and, and he encouraged us to pay attention to what was going on around the world. And, you know, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, you know, things are better in America than in most places. And even as a fifth grade boy, I was able to, to see that. I come from a family who the men on both sides, my, my dad's side and my stepdad's side, most of the men did a four-year stint in the Navy. We didn't come from money. It was a way to save up for college and the GI Bill and different things. And that was the plan that I was looking at two plans whenever I uh, was uh, an older teenager. One was just to go straight to college. The other one was to, to go into to the military, and I was probably going to go into the military for four years. I also had a unique opportunity where I had been a page for uh, 
a few weeks one summer for an Indiana State Senator, and he made the statement that if I wanted to, he would would uh, give me a recommendation to go to Annapolis and perhaps be even an officer in the, the Navy. And I was considering all of those things. Uh, my problem was that the, the Navy recruits uh, uniforms were not very manly, I didn't feel like. And so uh, part of me wanted to go to the Marines. And uh, so I was looking at either being a Navy officer, because they got to carry a sword sometimes. And then the Marines in their dress uniforms, they got to carry a sword sometimes. And uh, I was actually, I had gotten saved when I was 16. When I was 17, I was talking to the Navy recruiter and the Marine recruiter at the same time. And I would kind of talk to one, and then I'd talk to the other, and they were both calling me. And uh, I had scored on my ASVAB, I had scored high enough where they basically said, we're going to let you do whatever you want. And so I sit down with the recruiter and said, I want to fly jets, just like they do in Top Gun. And uh, he said, no, they're not going to let you do that. He said, they're going to want you for, for something else. He said, but you can do anything else you want. I said, you can just tell me I can do anything I want, but you won't let me fly jets. He said, no, they'll, they'll want you for something else. And I said, okay. I said, then I want to be on a submarine, just like Hunt for Red October. And uh, he's like, I'm not going to let you be on a submarine because those people get nuts after being underwater for six months at a time. He said, as a personal favor to you, I'm not going to let you do that. I said, you told me I could do whatever I wanted. And uh, so we were going back and forth. And, and uh, the, the Navy recruiter would call me, and I'd talk to him. And the Marine recruiter would call me. And they were calling me every week. So they were giving me messages to say back to each other. And the Navy, and I told them both I was talking to each other. So it was kind of like this interesting, they were kind of both trying to woo me. And uh, so they would say, the Navy guy would say, well, you tell the Marine guy this. And so the next call, I would say, the Navy guy told me to tell you this. He'd say, what, he told you to say that? Well, you tell him I said this. And they were just kind of giving messages back and forth until one day the Navy recruiter said, ask, ask the Marine, Marine recruiter who signs his paycheck. And I'm like, Okay. So I asked the Marine recruiter who signed his paycheck, and that the, the Navy guy told me to ask him who signed his paycheck, and he got so mad. He's like, what? He told you to say that? That's not right. And come to find out, the Secretary of the Navy signs the Marine's paycheck. And so it was kind of fun going back and forth, and, and I had my whole life before me. Am I going to go to college? Am I going to go into one of these branches for four years? Am I going to try to get on a track to, to become an officer? And during that time, God called me to preach. And so there was a phone call where both of them called me, as they did every few weeks. And I had to tell each of them individually, I'm not going to join the Navy. I joined God's Army. And I said that I, God wants me to be a preacher. And so that's what I'm going to do. And I told the Marine guy the same thing. And both of them said the same thing. They're like, well, you could be a chaplain. And uh, you can even be a chaplain in the reserves. And I, I asked them both the same question. I said, let me ask you one thing. I said, are they going to tell me what I can and cannot say, or are they going to let me preach the word of God? And the Navy guy said, well, admirals don't like being told they're sinners. And the uh, Marine guy said, well, generals don't like being told they're wrong. And I said, I'm not going to become a preacher halfway. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. 
And whenever we look at Memorial Day, I kind of put myself that I could have been one of those. If God had a different plan for me, I could have been on a boat somewhere or in a jungle or a desert somewhere, and I could have shed my blood. And God had a a different plan for me. But I think it's important when we look at Memorial Day to just take a moment and say, you know what, somebody died so that I didn't have to. Somebody served so that I didn't have to. And I was just doing some research about the number of military fatalities in 10 major wars from 1775 to 2023. In 1898, the Spanish-American War, 2,446 Americans gave their lives. In the War on Terror, 2001 to present, 7,075. In the Mexican-American War, 1846 to 1848, 13,283. In the War of 1812, that was from 1812 to 1815, 20,000 Americans gave their lives. In the Revolutionary War, 1170, excuse me, 1775 to 1783, 25,000 Americans. And you can see we're climbing in the higher and higher wars, the casualties. The Korean War, 1950 to 1953, 36,516 gave their lives. In the Vietnam War, 1965 to 1973, 58,209 people gave their lives. I was born in 1976, which some of you think that, oh, you're just a baby, and some of you are like, goodness, you're ancient. But I remember the early 80s whenever Vietnam was still very much on the American conscience, and people that came back from Vietnam were pretty messed up, and there was a lot of tension in America, about the war itself. I remember those things. World War I, 1917 to 1918, 116,516 people gave their lives. World War II, that's from 1939 to 1945, 405,399 Americans gave their lives. The most costly war in America was the Civil War. And that's because everybody that died in that war was an American. 620,000 Americans gave their lives for a lot of things, but ultimately over slavery. And we live in a world today where people say, well, America was a, a slave nation. And I also remind people we're also the only country I know of where over 600,000 people died to make that different. You know, a lot of people have given their lives. There are people stationed around the world this this weekend that uh, won't get to see friends and family. There's a lot of thoughts about war and a lot of thoughts about the military in general, and they've done some pretty terrible things, and sometimes the people in charge don't really care about the soldier themselves, and sometimes they've done pretty tremendous heroic things. But I think we can all agree that the individual matters. The individual 
And each one of these numbers, each casualty represents a parent who lost a child. Each number represents a spouse who lost a partner. A child who lost a parent. A brother that lost a sibling, a sister. An aunt and uncle, a cousin. And a community that lost a piece of itself. In our church records for our 175th anniversary, we found records of, I think it was six people from our community and six people from our church that fought in the Civil War. Think about that. This church was founded in 1842. And there were people that died in the, from this church that fought in the Civil War. And we must never forget that freedom isn't free. I want to make two statements, and I want you to ponder them just by way of introduction. Soldiers protect freedom with weapons and blood, fighting those who would take it away by force. Citizens protect freedom with speech and spine, standing up to those who would take it away through policy. And just because you and I aren't on a battlefield somewhere does not mean that we're not in a war for the soul of our nation. And we have to stand up with speech and spine and say, no, we don't want to become where you're trying to take us. We believe in freedom of speech and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and God, the God of the Bible, all of those things. So it's important that we remember this on Memorial Day. Why, why was there a day set aside? That's because we understand that as a... As humans, we are forgetful. How many of you forgot something this week? I did. I forgot several things. Uh, You forget where you put the keys. You forget an appointment. You forget this. You forget that. We are a forgetful people. And so we use reminders like holidays to say, we're not going to forget that. We're not going to forget this thing. And that's why we have a Memorial Day. But did you know that God also knows that we're a forgetful people? And as instructive as Memorial Day is and as important it is for us to take a a moment and think about those things, it's more important to not forget the eternal truths of God's Word. It's more important not to forget God. You know, the average person goes through life and they'll go days sometimes, weeks, without thinking about God. How's that possible? You know, a Christian should never go very long at all without having a conscious thought about God. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, you still hear his name, And he was a mighty preacher in the 1800s for God. I think one reason why you still hear his name today is he said this, I don't remember a 15-minute section of my life where I didn't have a conscious thought about God. We'll sit down and watch a two-hour movie and I'll think about him. You know, God knows we're a forgetful people. And he wants us to remember Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines forgetfulness as the following, 
the quality of losing the remembrance or recollection of a thing, or rather the quality of being apt to let anything slip from the mind. I think a lot of things, we just let them slip from the mind. A lot of things we don't mean to forget. You know, you men, if I put you on the spot, could you tell me your anniversary? Now? No. Some of you would go into cold sweats if I asked you your anniversary or your wife's birthday or, or uh, some of those things. The wife not only knows your birthday and anniversary, she knows on Thursday, July 2nd, 2012, what you said to her and, and uh, what you were wearing. And, uh, and guys are like, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast, you know. We're forgetful people, and we don't mean to forget, but sometimes we don't mean to remember. And that's what the Bible is talking about, is make a choice to remember, and then make a choice to not forget. And how do we do that? We move certain things to the front of our minds. We prioritize what is important. In this, in this information age, Never has there been so much information coming at you so quickly, and yet much of it is meaningless. So we can't be caught in a tidal wave of meaningless information where we forget the things that truly matter. And so we choose to know I'm not going to forget. I'm going to remember. I'm going to make myself a note. I'm going to put something on the calendar. I'm going to make a holiday, if you will, about that. I'm going to things like go to church every Sunday so I can remember who I am and who God is and what Christ did for me. I'm going to read my Bible every day so I remember. I'm going to have a prayer list. I'm going to pray every day so I remember. I'm not going to forget. In our text, we see that Moses, of course, inspired by God, told the Israelites to remember and not forget in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The book of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy is actually a word that means second law. This is the second giving of the law. If you remember your Old Testament history, in Exodus chapter 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He's up on the mount, Mount Sinai, that wonderful experience. He comes down and through a series of events. He gives the people what God told him. They say, we're going to do this. They eventually come to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And in that place, they were supposed to go into the promised land. They sent in 12 spies. 10 were bad, two were good. Some of you remember that children's song. 10 came back and said, oh, we can't take this land. It's, it's full of giants. And the other two people said, no, we can take the land because God promised it to us and those ten spies gave an evil report to the people, and they said they began weeping because they said, we believe these ten spies, God cannot get us in. These people are too strong. God speaks and, and now is angry at them and says, how could, after everything I've brought you through, getting you out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, taking care of you every way, and now you're going to doubt me? So God made a proclamation that anybody 20 years of age and older would not get to go into the promised land other than Caleb and, and, and Joshua, the two spies who said, no, we can do it. God said, I'm going to let you two live. And they had really supernatural strength into their 80s. The Bible tells us 
So for 40 years, they wandered around the wilderness, skirting the edges of the promised land. They had all types of trials and temptations, and over and over, God proved himself to them. At one point, they didn't have anything to eat, so God did a miracle called manna, and it would be on the ground like dew in the morning, and they would go out in the morning and scrape up this. It was almost like a a high-density protein flour, and they could make cakes with it and cook with it and different things, and it basically sustained them for 40 years. They didn't have to go to the grocery store for 40 years. Their clothes didn't get old. Their shoes didn't wear out. They were supernaturally, providentially taken care of by God. They ran into times where they didn't have water, and God would make water literally come from a flint rock, which flint is so dry and hard that you could start a fire with it. And God supernaturally made it pour out water for two million Jews. And, and so all of these things, and, 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 and after 40 years of wandering, they come back to the promised land, and now's the time where they're going to get to go in. This second generation is going into the promised land and and God gives them the the book of Deuteronomy through Moses. God inspires Moses to to pen every word and said, let me tell you what your fathers knew and so you can do it right this time. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, towards the beginning of this book, God reminds them, I want you to remember. See, what's he saying? Your fathers forgot. And because they forgot, it cost them 40 years. And you know, sometimes I wonder how much it costs us when we forget to take care of the most important things. Sometimes it costs a marriage. Sometimes it costs a relationship with a child or a parent. Sometimes it costs a job. It costs wealth. It costs sickness. It costs stress. It can cost decades when we forget the most important things and go some direction we ought not have gone, and we wouldn't have gone if we would have only remembered. I think about David. David was a man after God's own heart, and you know the story with Bathsheba, David's great sin. He should have gone to battle. He stayed home. He's up on his roof, which is taller than the rest. Next door, there's a woman a beautiful woman taking a bath. She couldn't see him, but he could see her. And David, filled with lust, had his messengers go call her in. She got to come see the king. David basically committed adultery with her. Then he tried to hide it. You can't hide those things from God. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is God talking to David through the prophet And God basically says, David, I gave you everything. I took you from the sheepfold. I I took you from, you were the youngest of of your siblings. You were out in the field and and nobody knew your name. And I I called you. I I made you a warrior. I made you a king. I gave you everything. And then one of the saddest phrases in the Bible, and if that had not been enough, I would have given you more. I think in that moment, if David had remembered the goodness of God, he would have never committed that sin with Bathsheba. But he forgot. Sometimes forgetting is very costly. God here reminding this new generation, don't forget. Don't forget. I could say that to a new generation of Christians. 
We've got people in here, everything from the, the gray head, the senior saint, as we call them, all the way down to those who are 40s, 30s, 20s, all the way down to their teens. It's easy to forget. It's easy to say, well, they, my parents believed that, or that's what Christians used to believe. It's easy to walk away from things that you don't understand. And I would encourage you today, remember, your parents, your grandparents didn't fight spiritual battles for no reason. You know, I often remind my kids, because of the choices their mother and I made, they, they have not experienced the pain of sin as I did. And because of the choices my mother-in-law and father-in-law made, my wife didn't experience the, the pain of sin that they did. And even in, in her own way, my mom protected me from some of the, the pain of sin that she had to go through as best as she knew how. And it's easy for people who've never felt the sting of sin to say, well, it's no big deal. Well, I encourage you, don't just throw away the battles of your forefathers because you don't understand. Remember, ask questions. Why did we do this? What, what happened back here? How did you go through this? And sometimes we just remember. Sometimes for those of us who were saved out of bad situations, sometimes we've been saved so long we forget. We forget the pain. And if you're not careful, you'll go back into the same sins that God saved you from. Why? Because after a while, you just forget the pain. You forget the suffering. We got to remember, don't we? God was concerned that the blessings of the promised land would encourage the Israelites to forget him. And he was right. Have you found that whenever things are tough, you run to God, and when things get easy, it's easy to kind of not be so close to God? We see this cycle all through the scriptures. If you notice here, he says that he had blessed them, and he had chastened them, and then look at verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and fear him. Why is he telling him this? For, he's basically saying, I'm, I'm reminding you because you're going to go into a segment of your life that's filled with blessings and prosperity. And if you're not careful, the very blessings that I give you can cause you to forget how bad things were and how good I've been to you. And read on what it says here in verse 7. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks and water and fountains and depths to spring out of the valleys and hills. Remember I told you that there were times they didn't have water. He said, I'm going to give you to a land where you will never want for water again. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it. He said, you remember all those times you were hungry and all those times where I gave you manna supernaturally and that time where you were tired of manna and you wanted meat so I supernaturally sent flocks of birds to you and you, you ate meat until you got sick of it 
He said, you, you knew what it was like to be hungry and to want and wonder where your next meal was coming from. And God says, I'm sending you to a land where there's more food than you can imagine and more variety than you can imagine. Don't forget me when you're full, God says. He goes on to say in the end of verse 8, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. They spent decades in a traveling in and out of deserts. And now they were going to a place that had all the natural materials they needed. And look at verse 10, when thou hast eaten and art full and when thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his statutes, excuse me, and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Look at verse 12. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Verse 17, And thou say in thy heart, My power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord. Boy, what a, what a loving God. A loving God who says, I know you. I know your tendencies and let me help you. You've known what it's like to struggle and I've brought you through it all. And I'm going to bring you into a place of prosperity and fullness where you will have want of nothing. And if you're not careful, God says, you will forget me. And you'll get so lifted up with pride that you think it's because of you. You think it's because you that you have wealth and it's because you that you have a nice house and it's because you and and your wisdom and your knowledge and your hard work. But remember, all those things, all the wisdom and knowledge and hard work in the world in the desert meant nothing. It was God's blessings that made the difference. And God said, don't you forget me. Don't you forget me. Because if you forget me, you're going to go back to that place of hurt and suffering. And this is the cycle we see. We're hurting. We're suffering. We call out to God. God helps us. After a period of time, we get to a place of blessing and fullness because God has helped us. And then after a while, we get away from God because of our blessing and fullness. We begin to think we don't need Him And then we get back to a place of need and want and pain and sorrow. So we turn to God. And God blesses us. And we forget and get complacent. 
and we get to a place of need. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Have we lived that? Then how about we just decide to remember? How about we decide not to forget? Let me give you a couple scenarios and we'll go to the house. We see the same problem today. A man loses his job. The bills pile up. The pressure mounts to care for his family. He begins to turn to God. God, I need a job. God, I need to pay the bills. I need a place to live. I I, I need to put food on the table for my wife or my kids or whatever the situation may be. Perhaps he starts going to church again. Or if he is in church, he gets serious about it. He asks the church to pray. The pastor and the church start praying for him to get a job. After a course of time, God gives him a job. Praise the Lord, he's got a job. The money starts coming in. After a while, he can begin to not just take care of his weekly needs, but he begins to pay the bills off. He gets to a place where things are a little bit more comfortable. And now he realizes, you know, he can make time and a half or double time if he just doesn't go to church on Sunday. So he starts missing church. Or maybe he says, you know, now I've got enough money to buy an RV or a second house, so now we can travel and we're just going to stop going to church because we've got other options. And he stops. This man turns away from the God that gave him the job because of the job that God gave him. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. And so what happens? After a while, he either loses his job or loses his family or different things happen. How about whenever God gives you the job, you thank God and don't forget it was God who gave you the job. A wife prays for God to restore her marriage, to heal her family. She surrenders to God and makes needed changes. She commits to follow God like she never has before. She starts going to church if she didn't before. If she was going to church occasionally, she gets really plugged in. She begins to pray. She asks, asks the church to pray. God does a miracle. God saves the family. The, the marriage is restored. The family is healed. And, and life gets good again. The pressure's off. And after a period of time, the couple falls back into the same old Problems that caused them problems before. And next thing you know, the marriage is on the rocks again. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that. A Christian gets sick. Maybe the doctor says the word cancer. And that Christian realizes, I've been messing around. I've got so much to do in my life. I don't want to die. They get serious with God. They say, God, if you, if you save me from this, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And they begin to get plugged into church. If they weren't coming, they start coming. If they were coming already, they kind of get really plugged in. They're like, man, I, God, if you, if you come through for me and the church begins to pray and people even fast and pray. And, and after a period of time, the, the word comes, Remission. No more cancer. Oh, thank you, God. 
But the further the person gets away from that, the more they forget the God who gave them life. And they fall back into the same old issues that they were before. You know why they forgot. When, when these things happen, you have one of two choices. I've known people that have had near-death experiences, and after they are healed and after God saves them, they plug into Jesus and they never turn back. I mean, they are a different person for the rest of their lives, and thank God for that. I also know people that God has literally saved their lives. And they say, well, now that God saved me, I get to live the life that I want. Excuse me? Well, I don't go to church because I like riding horses, and I didn't never rode horses enough, so I'm going to ride horses. And What? Or now I'm going to travel because I, God saved my life, so I'm going to... Excuse me? If you and I aren't careful, we will allow God's blessings to be the things that harden our hearts to where we turn away from him again. How about this? Choose to remember. If God saved you from a mess, don't relive the mess, but also never forget where you came from. If God saved you from a mess because you grew up in a Christian family, how about you remember all the sacrifices that were made so that you didn't have to know what that was like. And if you got away from it, and you felt the sting of, of sin, and you turned back to God, how about you never forget that God's the one who gave you a second chance? How about the fact we're all saved? How about the fact we never forget that but for the grace of God, we should all be in hell right now. I mean, right now, we should be in hell with, for eternity but God loved us enough that Jesus did everything He did and died on the cross. How can we go a day without remembering the great sacrifice of our Savior? Amen. How soon we forget. Here's the challenge for today. Choose to remember. And choose to never forget. How do you do that? You're going to prioritize it. You're going to put it in the front of your mind. You're going to do things like, I'm going to go to church every single week of my life. I'm going to open God's book every day. I'm going to, I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to make myself notes. I'm going to have memories. I, I think it's a good idea if you know what day you got saved on, celebrate your spiritual birthday every year. If you know what day that, just like you, you, you have a, a marriage, if you want to keep that marriage healthy, have weekly date nights. Remember that the reason why you didn't get married just so you could pay a mortgage together and, and raise kids together. You got married so you could be together. Do all of these little things to where you prioritize the most important things in your life that you will not forget. Choose to remember. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the... The words that we learned today, and I pray that you'd help us. We are forgetful people. And Lord, sometimes we are forgetful of the most important things. And I pray that you'd help us to structure our lives in a way that we would remember, that you'd help us to 
prioritize our heart in a way that we put the most important things first. And Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for making salvation possible. Thank you for all the blessings that you have given us. And I pray, it's so easy to remember the bad. It's so easy to to overlook the good. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have good perspective about your blessings, to count our blessings, to be grateful, to have a thankful spirit, to give thanks every day, to have a spirit of of generosity and, and kindness and remembrance of all the the good things you've done and what people have put into us. Help us, Lord, never to forget. Because when we forget, we suffer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. At the end of each one of our services, we take a a few moments of invitation to process what we've heard. In just a moment, we'll stand. The piano will play. Christians are invited to come forward. and You can pray in your seat, but there's something special about just taking a few steps and kneeling at the altar and talking to the Lord about whatever's on your heart. If you're here this morning, you're not sure you're saved, you're not sure you're going to heaven, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. What is it in your life that, that you've let slip? What is it that you said, man, I need to remember that, or man, I can't believe I'm in this place again, I can't believe I did that cycle again, and here we are struggling again, all because I forgot. Won't you... Confess that to the Lord and ask Him to help you. If you're in a bad place, turn to God today. He can help you. If you're in a good place, ask God to help you.